There's a lot I'd like to say, but I think that uh, there's only one word that describes how I feel and what has taken place tonight. And that's the word hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's a good word. It's a biblical word. It's a Hebrew word. Halle means you praise, you singular. Hallelujah means you plural, all of you praise. And hallelujah means all of you praise the Lord. It's a word that is throughout the Old Testament in particular. At least 15 of the Psalms begin or end with the word hallelujah. It is a biblical word with tremendous excitement in it. You can't say it and keep still. You can't say it and keep calm. You can't say it unemotionally. You've got to say it with, with a tinge of excitement in your heart and in your voice and with a deep sense of love for the Lord to whom all praise is ascribed. It is a word that ought to flow freely from the lips of God's people. And strangely enough, it only appears one time in the New Testament. Out of all of the New Testament passages, there's only one passage that uses the word hallelujah. It is found in the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. I wish you would turn with me to that chapter and let's look at it together. Because in this chapter we have on four occasions in the first six verses, the actual Hebrew word simply transliterated into the uh, Greek language and then into the English language, hallelujah. It appears here and only here in the New Testament. Hallelujah. An exciting and wonderful word for us to look at. I want you to look first at the fifth verse with me as a text, and we have a scene now in heaven. It is the preparation for the marriage of the Lamb when Christ shall come and shall snatch his bride out of the earth and take all of the saints home to be with him, and we shall sit down to feast together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in that context, in that passage, we read, And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God. Now, that word praise is not the word hallelujah. It is the Greek word for praise, and it means to extol or to bless. It means to, as, to ascribe supreme worth and value to. And I want you to notice that it is in the imperative. It is not a suggestion. It is not something we ought to do or something we uh, should make a choice about doing. It is a command. This is the second person a plural imperative for us. All of you are to praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. That includes all of us. Didn't leave any of us out. All the servants of God, all those who love God, all of those who belong to God, all of those who would be considered great, all of those who are considered small are to praise the Lord. Now, I want you to notice that praise is a response Praise is a response to something. Something happens and we give praise to that which happens. We give praise or we ascribe worth or value to someone or to something. And so we praise God because of what God has done. We praise God because of God's acts and because of God's presence and because of what God has performed in our midst. And as a result of what God does, we shout hallelujah. As a result of what God has done, we praise the Lord. 
We praise Him because we are commanded to praise Him. It is throughout the Word of God that we are to praise God. Throughout the Word of God, we are commanded and we are admonished to lift our voices and praise Him. In the book of Psalms, for instance, in the 34th Psalm, the psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And then in the 103rd Psalm, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Now, I read that and I wonder, how do you bless God? Does God need something that I can give Him that will fulfill Him or complete Him? How do you bless God? Well, I believe the answer is very clearly seen there in this 34th chapter of Psalms when he says that we are to bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. You bless God by praising God. If you would want to, you could take the word bless in the Psalms and transfer the, in, into it the word praise. And Psalms 103 could read, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, praise his holy name. That's biblical. That is scriptural. We're to praise God, and as we praise God, it pleases God. It blesses God. So as I am commanded to praise, I am commanded to praise first because it is my responsibility, it is my duty to God. When I praise God, it makes him happy. When I praise God, it brings joy to his heart. When I praise God, it pleases God, it blesses God. So as a recipient of all that God is, as a recipient, an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ, I am to say hallelujah, praise God because it pleases God. It blesses God. It is my duty to God to praise Him. But it is my duty not only to God but to myself. I need to praise God. You know, when I praise God, I'm a whole lot easier to live with. Really am. It's hard to be horsey when you're praising God. Hard to be unkind when you're praising God. It's amazing. Praise has a cleansing effect. It's hard, in fact, impossible to harbor bitterness and resentment. It's hard, in fact, it's impossible to be out of sorts with our fellow man or with the people of God or with anyone else if we're praising God because praise has a cleansing effect in our lives. And oh, how we need, we owe it to ourselves to be clean. We owe it to ourselves to be free from bitterness and from anger and from hatred. It is a duty, a responsibility to ourselves, and we do it in no better way than by praising God. We have a responsibility to God to praise Him. We have a responsibility to ourselves to praise Him. And we have a responsibility to our fellow man to praise God because how else will others know about Christ unless I tell them? How else can the lost be saved unless I tell them the story of God's love revealed through Jesus Christ? How else will the world know of a great eternal God unless I praise God and my praise upon my lips revealed through my life will show other people the way to God? It is our duty, our responsibility to the world to praise God. Indeed, you will find that everything God commanded the church to be, everything God commanded me as a Christian to be, is wrapped up in the word hallelujah. For if I adequately and properly and continually say from my soul hallelujah, I will fulfill my obligation to God, I will fulfill my responsibility to myself, and I will fulfill my obligation to the world. It is to be a 
pattern of our lives, we are to praise our God. It's commanded to us. I want you to notice in the 40th Psalm, the psalmist said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my goings, and he put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. And we come over to the book of Peter, and we find that uh, the apostle Peter says concerning the church, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. Boy, we fit that, don't we? I wonder how we're peculiar. The word peculiar means you're different. You are a unique people. How are we unique? You are unique in that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you realize the one thing that sets the Christian apart from everyone else is praise, praise. You look at the unbelieving world and you will find that there's nothing but hatred and selfishness and bitterness and godlessness in his speech, in his heart, in his conduct. But the child of God is unique. He is not unique in that he may appear from outward appearances different from others. He is not unique in that uh, there are certain physical characteristics about him that set him apart. He is unique in that the Christian, the child of God, is one in whose hearts and from whose lips there is a continual hallelujah, praise to God. That's what makes us different. And anytime we do not fulfill that uniqueness, anytime we are not allowing God through the Holy Spirit to fulfill that uniqueness in us, we are not being the peculiar, unique people God called us to be. That is what marks us as different. The writer of Hebrews in the 13th chapter of Hebrews says to us that we are to offer unto God continually the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. We are to give the sacrifice of praise. You have given money represented by the candles on this cake tonight, but the thing that they should be but symbolic of is the praise of your hearts to God. You don't give to a church. You give through a church. You don't give to a program. You give to a passion. You do not give to a mission. You give to a master, even Jesus Christ. He is the king. He is the one to whom our praise is given. And from our hearts, there is to be a continual glory. Hallelujah. Because of what he has done for us. Now, in this passage of Scripture, though God doesn't have to do it, God doesn't have to give us reasons for anything. He doesn't have to tell us anything. Anything that God does for us in the way of explaining to us is grace. He doesn't have to justify anything. He's God. He's the Lord. But I'm so glad he does tell us some things, aren't you? I'm so glad he gives us some reasons why. It would have been enough 
If God had said, I am the Lord your God, I am the one who's created heaven and earth and all that is within it. I am the God of creation. I am the God who brought you here. I'm the God who brings the rain on the just and the unjust. I am God, and you're to praise me. That would have been enough. But you know, he tells us why we ought to praise him here. In four exciting, fulfilling, unbelievable words. Notice verse 1. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And then four reasons for the Hallelujah. First of all, salvation. And then glory. And then honor. And then power unto the Lord our God. Now let's look at them for a moment for they form a beautiful basis for our praise and we'll go quickly through these. First of all, he says we're to praise him. We're to shout hallelujah because of salvation, because of God's perfect redemption. That's what salvation is. Salvation is a complete redemption of body and soul. It is a complete redemption of all that a man is in his mind, in his heart, in his body, in his spirit. It is a perfect redemption. The Word of God tells me that we are born again. 1 Peter 1, 21 to 23 in there declares that we are born again by the Word of God, which is an eternal Word. And it is so eternal, it is so perfect that though the flower of the grass may fade and wither and fall away, that the Word of God will never, it will endure forever. And that is the Word that brings salvation into our hearts. There is an eternal salvation, an eternal redemption. Man's redemption is not, not eternal. It's not perfect. Man's temporary. Every salvation we know about is temporary in this world. You hear people talking about they were saved, someone saved your life. We're just saved to die another time. We're still going to die. It's a temporary thing. We talk about people being saved by a, a, a miraculous moving of God, perhaps in healing or in avoiding of an accident or, or in some way we are saved and yet we are saved temporarily. Every salvation man knows about is temporary. It is for a while. It is for a season. But God's salvation, God's redemption is perfect. It is eternal. It is not temporary. When God redeems my soul, it is for eternity. I am born into the family of God. My sins, those hideous sins that would plague my mind, that would fill my soul and my life with despair and discouragement, that would eat my soul apart, that guilt that would hound me and haunt me and drive me to distraction and despair, God comes and takes it away permanently, perfectly. Everything I am that I do not want to be, God removes so that everything he wants me to be, I can become. That's perfect redemption. My sins are washed away. And the writer of Hebrews says that God will forgive our sins and will remember them no more. Oh, listen, God's a God of perfection. When he forgets something, he forgets it completely. It's just like it never happened. That sin that is hounding you, that guilt that is eating at your soul, God says, I want to remove it. I want to take it away. And when the soul gets a grasp of that, when the soul and heart of man realizes that when salvation comes, it is a perfect, eternal salvation, 
that will take us into the very presence of God. There wells in the soul a shout, Hallelujah! Praise God for a perfect redemption. It's not only perfect in what it does in the soul, it's perfect in what it does in the body too. My mother's crippled. She's lived all of her life. I knew that thing was going to burn up. Well, praise the Lord, you just ruined $2,000 worth of carpet. My mother's crippled. When she was 10 months old, she had polio. There's never been a day in her life when she's walked straight. Never been a day in her life when she could run and play like normal children do. But someday... The redemption that God has placed in her heart is going to bring a perfect body. She'll walk straight. We won't have to have interpreters for some of our friends here tonight cannot hear. There is a physical imperfection. And the thing that tears at my heart as I share with them and love them as I have over the years is to know that they can't hear the music. They can hear the words through the signs that are given by the interpreter, but they can't hear the music. They've never known harmony. They've never known what it was like to thrill at the blend of beautiful voices in a choir. They've never known the clarity and the clarion notes of Jeannie Rogers or someone else. But someday in glory, their ears will be made perfect. There is a perfect redemption. No handicap there. No dead-end physical experience there for the redemption of God is a redemption that's perfect, physically perfect, spiritually perfect, eternally perfect. And if you can't say hallelujah about that, you're in trouble. Hallelujah. Praise God for a perfect redemption. So he says all of these people, much people in heaven, Say hallelujah because of God's perfect salvation. Then he says, not only hallelujah for salvation, but hallelujah for glory. Now the word glory would be synonymous with righteousness because it is the righteousness of God that is transferred to, to our hearts and to our lives. Through salvation, I receive an imputed righteousness. I am not righteous, but he is righteous in me. I am not good, but he is good in me. Everything God is, I am through Jesus Christ. I receive the glory of perfect righteousness. I receive the glory of being perfectly righteous before God. Righteousness, he underscores that. In verse 2, he says, For true and righteous are his judgments. True and righteous are his judgments. My righteousness is incomplete. I am weak. I am frail. My goodness and my righteousness is incomplete. It is inadequate. I can never be like God. If I were as perfect as is humanly possible to be, I could never share his glory. I could never sit in his presence for my righteousness is not like his righteousness. He described it like this, for man's righteousness is his filthy rags in my sight. That simply means that man's righteousness is not the same kind of righteousness. You ever been in one country and tried to spend money that belonged to another country? When we came back from the Holy Land several years ago, we got in France. You know they wouldn't take uh, Greek money in Paris, France? Wouldn't do it. Wasn't the coinage of the land. 
It was, it was non-negotiable. It was not something that could be used. So what did I have to do? I had to take my Greek money, go down to the bank, and transfer it into French money. I had to take a commodity that belonged somewhere else in another realm and transfer it into the realm of that country. And folks, that's what God does when we're saved. Our righteousness can never commend ourselves to God. You could be baptized once a week all of your life in every church in this city, and it would not commend you to God. It would not lift your heart to God and say you are righteous before God. You could give gifts to the poor and support all of the benevolent opportunities of our society. You could do everything that is humanly possible to do to be honest and good and kind, but you would not have commended yourself to God because sometime there has to come an experience when you place your non-negotiable righteousness in the bank of eternity and God deposits his righteousness in your heart. That's his righteousness, his glory. And so the, the book tells us that these many people in heaven shout hallelujah because of God's perfect righteousness. Hallelujah. He says hallelujah for salvation, hallelujah for glory, then hallelujah for honor. Now the word honor is a word that perhaps we ought to translate it respect or reverence. It is a word of awe. It is a word that allows us to come with reverence before God, respectfully before God. And he is simply saying that God is a God of such capacity and God is a God of such completeness and God is a God of such grace and such power and such majesty that I must come before him on my knees. I must come before him in honor, in respect, in reverence. And when I come to God like that in my heart, in my soul there wells up a cry, Hallelujah! Praise God. His honor, perfect worship, perfect respect. Oh, we like to be respected. We work at it too. We work hard to keep our reputations. We want people to think kindly of us, well of us. But any respect that we get is not earned. We don't deserve it. There's so much bad in the best of us that if it was known to the world, we'd not have respect. It's inadequate, man's respect. It's incomplete. You don't know me. You don't know the viciousness in my heart. You don't know that which resides in the secrets of my mind and soul. And my very best respect that I can get from you is inadequate because it's, your respect is based upon incomplete knowledge, but not God's. God's respect is earned. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. He is worthy to receive glory and honor and power Amen. Hallelujah for the Lamb of God who gave himself for me. He's earned my respect. He's given himself to me when I didn't deserve it, when I didn't even ask for it. Before I was born, Jesus Christ loved me. Before I was born, the Gospel of John records a prayer which Jesus uttered for me. 
He's worthy of my praise, my honor, my respect. Hallelujah. For God's perfect honor. But he says, hallelujah for salvation. Hallelujah for glory. Hallelujah for honor. And hallelujah for power. Hallelujah because God is worthy of our praise because of his power, his omnipotence, his majestic provision for human life. He is a reigning Christ in verse 6. He says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the voice of many waters, as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah! Why? For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And in the 16th verse it says, And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. Hallelujah! For the perfect power and majesty of God. That power was demonstrated in his life. Never met a funeral procession that he didn't break up. When he got through, there was nothing left to bury. He raised the dead. He never met a leper that cried to him in faith, but that he cleansed the leper and gave him clean, physical, recuperative powers in his body. He was demonstrating his power. He spoke to the sea, and it became as solid as the earth beneath our feet and a highway for him to walk upon. He spoke to the winds, and they ceased to blow. He spoke to the rain, and it ceased to fall. He spoke to the fish, and they scurried into the nets of disciples who had fished all night and caught nothing. His power demonstrated as he lived, but as he died, his power was demonstrated. For they took his body and placed it in a tomb, and they put the seal of the Roman Empire upon the tomb, and they placed soldiers there, and all of the earthly power of human might said, He is dead, it is over. But God's power could not accept the verdict. God's power could not rest in the decision. And though the drums of eternity began to roll on the third day, they burst into a great crescendo. And the stone was rolled away. And Jesus Christ was revealed to be alive, magnificently alive. And he walked about the earth, a resurrected being for 40 days, and then was swept off into the sky ascending to the Father. And his power never more demonstrated than then. For the most prevalent law of the physical universe is the law of gravity. The law of gravity is that which holds the earth in its place and allows it to rotate around the sun. It is the law of gravity that holds the tides to keep this earth from being inundated by the waters of the sea. It is the law of gravity that holds the stars in the heavens and the sun in its place. But that law, that law that holds the stars in their place could not hold the bright and morning star who rose in violation of natural law, the bright and morning star with healing in his wings. And that law was done away with as Jesus demonstrated his power, that law which held the Son in its place could not keep the Son of righteousness on this earth. For powerfully, majestically he rose to be with the Father. Hallelujah! Praise God! 
He is the one who holds the world in his hand. He is the one of whom Brother John spoke a moment ago. All things are his. Because of that, everything is ours, and we are to be a part of the majesty and the power of God. You see, our power is inadequate. We've done everything we know to do. It's inadequate. But God's power is unlimited. Nothing God cannot achieve. Nothing God cannot do. God has unlimited power. Praise God. Hallelujah for his perfect power. Unto God praises due, not unto man, not unto the servants of God who are ordained to the ministry, not unto the people of God who are that peculiar, unique people, however warm and however aggressive the fellowship may be. There never comes a time when men will say hallelujah for Southern Baptist Church. Never a time when they'll say hallelujah First Baptist Eulist. Never be a time when they'll say hallelujah Bailey Smith. Never be a time when they'll say hallelujah Jimmy Draper. Never be a time when they'll say hallelujah for men's acclaim, but for God. He's the one to whom all praise is due. He's the one who makes it happen. We don't make it happen. We allow it to happen as an almighty God who is worthy of our praise reacts and acts upon human opportunity. Oh, the Psalms are so full of it. Oh, it gets so exciting. The Psalms comes to a climax. You know, these were the songs they sang. And the last few Psalms talk so much about praise. Oh, if we could just praise God. If our hearts could be filled with praise and adoration for him. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalms 148. Hallelujah, hallelujah, he says. That's how he starts it. Hallelujah, hallelujah from the heavens. Praise the Lord, he says, from the heavens. Praise him, angels. All of the angels shout their one song in glory is hallelujah. Praise him, sun and moon, even the great lights of our physical world. Their song is hallelujah. Praise him, all the stars of lights. Praise him, ye heavens of heavens, ye waters above the heavens. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the earth, all the creatures of the earth, every animal that's ever been created in his unknowing soul or heart or spirit. There is a cry planted there by God. Hallelujah. If you question that, I remind you that one day Jesus walked into Jerusalem and his disciples began to say, Hosanna, hallelujah, the king has come. And the Pharisees told Jesus, keep them quiet. It's blasphemy. Tell them to hush. And Jesus said, if I tell them to stop, the stones will cry out. And the stones will cry, Hallelujah, Hosanna comes. Inbred in the universe is a hallelujah. Inbred in the stones of the earth and the creatures of the field and the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, there is a word, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Fire, hail, snow, vapors, stormy wind, hallelujah. Mountains, hills, fruitful trees, hallelujah. Beasts, all cattle, creeping things, flying fowl, hallelujah. Everything in the earth. And then he moves to talk about us. He says, kings of the earth, all people, communist leaders, ungodly dictators, unchristian 
government officials, hallelujah, princes, judges of the earth, hallelujah, young men, maidens, old men, children, hallelujah, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is excellent. And the psalm concludes, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. It's a good place to get happy. Good place to have a hallelujah time is in the sanctuary where people gather to worship. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's why we ought to sing. That's why our voices ought to be lifted as we share in the services, as we participate in the offering, as we share in the invitation. We're praising God in the sanctuary. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him for his greatness. Praise him with all of the instruments. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. In every man's soul, there's a word. You may not see it at first glance. You may not be aware of it. But if you listen with your heart, if you listen to the Spirit of God as He reveals to you a love that reaches over your sinfulness, a love that forgets your rebellion when you trust Him, a love that loves in spite of what you've done. If you listen with your heart, you'll find the Word. It is a Word that God has put there. It's hallelujah. Praise God. And folks, there's no better way to praise God than to obey God. That's how you praise Him. That's how you praise Him. Because if we get too wrapped up in the outward trappings of worship, we may be led by the Spirit back to Isaiah's time when God spoke to the people and says, Who commanded you to have these feasts? They would say, Well, God, you commanded. You commanded us to observe special days and certain ritual of worship. God says, who commanded you? Lord, you did. Oh, but I didn't command you to do it mechanically. I commanded you to do it from your heart. I commanded you to do it from your soul. I commanded you to give a, an expression of your worship in order that you might reveal that in your heart there is an obedience. In your heart there's a love. In your heart there is faith. And so we reveal that hallelujah that God's planted in your heart by obedience. Now, let me tell you, someday you're going to shout hallelujah. Oh, you say, preacher, I'm never going to say that. Yes, you are. You really are. For there's coming a day, according to Paul in Philippians 2, when at the, at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. They're going to shout hallelujah in glory in heaven. There's going to well up a shout from God's people hallelujah. But in hell, in torment, every tongue shall sing one last song. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But you don't have to wait, my friend. You don't have to wait. By obedience, that song can well up in your soul and explode through your mind and lips. Praise to God as we obey Him, as we do what He tells us to do. Some of you have given your money tonight. God says it's not enough. 
I want you. I want your heart. Some of you giving your money tonight, God says it's not enough. There's a breach of fellowship between you and another Christian. There's bitterness and hostility. It's not enough that you give your money. You've got to give your heart. You've got to give yourself. Go. Be reconciled to your brother. Then come. Present your gift at the altar. You see, the real test of praise is obedience. What have you done with what God has revealed for you to do? You can't say hallelujah. You cannot let it be the song of your soul until you've obeyed Christ. Now hear me carefully. If you're not saved, you can't say hallelujah. Because you see, you can't praise God. If you haven't experienced what God has done, that's the basis of praise. Remember I said praise is a response. You can be aware of God. You can know that God exists. You can see evidence of God, but you can't praise God until you're saved, until you've given your heart in faith to Him. And so my appeal to you tonight is to do that. Give your heart to Christ. He loves you in spite of every sin in your life. He loves you in spite of everything that has kept you from Him. He loves you, and He'll forgive you. And as you bow in faith to Him and obediently receive Him, you can shout with the redeemed of all ages, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. If you've been saved and there are areas of your life that have not been brought under the lordship of Christ, under the, the authority of Christ, for you to shout hallelujah from your soul, you need to be obedient. For some of you, it would mean bringing your membership to this church. This is where you belong. God's led you here, and in your heart you know it. That's the decision you ought to make. Or you've been saved and you ought to be baptized. Baptized believer, that is the way it reads in the New Testament. We trust Christ. Then we're baptized as a public witness. And you may have never been baptized as a believer. For you can say a song of praise. For it can be the song of your heart. And the liberty of your soul. There needs to be obedience. And so my appeal to you tonight is in your heart what God has pledged for you to do, what he's called you to do, you do it. So you can shout from your soul, from your heart, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Some of you ought to walk down the aisle. Take one of the staff by the hand and settle it right here at this sacred place, at this altar. Some of you have been away from God. You've gotten cynical. You've gotten cold. Some of you came back because you knew Brother John was going to be here, because you knew I was going to be here. You just wanted to see us. But in your heart, you've grown away from God. You've grown cold. God says this is the time for you to get right. Some of you have gone off to college and you've gotten away from God when you got away from church and home. You got off at school. In your heart you know it's not right. And in your heart you know things are not what they ought to be. Do what God impresses you to do in this moment. It may mean walking the aisle in a reaffirmation of faith, a rededication of life. It may be crossing an aisle to say to someone across that aisle or across this auditorium or in the balcony or on the main floor, I love you and I'm sorry for what has existed between us. I want to be able to praise God and I can't praise God with bitterness in my heart. I can't praise God with resentment. God wants us to sing a song. Just one word, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But it can't come until we're obedient. Would you bow your heads with me? In a moment, we're going to sing, and I'm going to ask you immediately to move into the aisle. 
make your commitment to Christ. The pastor and staff are here for you. You may be in the choir, slip out. There's a place here at this altar for you. You may be in the balcony around or here on this main floor. It may seem like a million miles to the front. It's not. It's just one step. This is the most significant part of this service. As God speaks to you, you come. Father, from our souls, we want to praise you. But, Lord, we can't do it if we're disobedient. We can't do it, Father, if we have not done in our lives what you call us to do. Lord, some need to be saved tonight. God, compel them to do it. Some need to move their letter tonight. God, draw them to you. Some need to be obedient in baptism tonight. God, give them that strong urging and desire. Some need to reaffirm and rededicate their lives to you. Lord, help them to do it. So together we can shout hallelujah. Praise the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, would you? As we stand, come quickly, quickly. This is God's invitation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Quickly. As God speaks to your heart, you come right now. Don't wait. Wherever you are, you come.